The reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, I'm beginning to read at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called a wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what's Christmas all about? Joy, peace, goodwill to all men? If that's the case, why is it that this joy doesn't seem to last? If we did a survey, we'd probably get answers like presents, partying, family, overeating. But in all this joy, why doesn't it last? Cardiff University did a survey a few years ago, and this study concluded that the 24th of January is the most depressing day of the year, less than a month after the day of the year we spend most money on, comes the most depressing day of the year. Why is that? It doesn't take a genius to sort of work out why. For most people, they will have been back at work for two or three weeks by then. January is a pretty dreary month. Yet should that be the case? I don't think it should. I think the reason that's the case is because we exchange the true meaning of Christmas for a cheaper alternative. For many of us, Christmas has just become an opportunity for a couple of days to pretend that everything's okay with the world. We've turned Christmas into a short-term party that makes us happy for a couple of days. And yet we know that everything's not right with the world. We know that life isn't hunky-dory. And yet for a couple of days we pretend that it is. We do things a bit differently. We tolerate that annoying family member who we spend the rest of the year falling out with. Or we might even say hello to a stranger if we're out for a walk on Christmas Day. I'm not saying that those things are bad, but we're just kidding ourselves into thinking that everything's okay with the world just for one day. There's another attitude we can have to Christmas, I think, and I think for many of us, we can become cynical about the whole thing. 
I seem to have the same conversation every year with at least one person, and it goes something like, have they really got Christmas stuff up already in such and such a shop? It feels like the Christmas season lasts from the end of September. And it's hard not to think, what's all the fuss about one day of the year? It's hard not to walk around town and think, you know, why all the fuss? Even for those of us who know that Christmas should be all about Jesus, it can become easy to think, why don't we just retreat from it all when the world makes it so much about money and consumerism? That might seem like doom and gloom, but the reason I mention it is because I think there's a far more hopeful message in Christmas that can fill us with joy well beyond the 24th of January if we allow it to. We heard in our reading the prophet Isaiah speaking some 700 years before Jesus' birth. And we, read, we heard in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Few of us would dispute Isaiah's synopsis of our world, a land of deep darkness. You only have to watch the news in the morning to see that uh, it's all about war and economic crisis and famine. And yet Isaiah says there is hope. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. What is this great light he's talking about? Well, he goes on in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This great light he's been telling us about is a child. How can a child help us? Well, the identity of this child is in those four titles he gives him. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yet has it ever struck you how bizarre what he's actually saying is? You might, you might have twigged by now, this child he's talking about is Jesus. But what he's saying is not only is this light he's been talking about a child... These four titles he gives to this child are titles that are only ever given to God. In essence, what he's saying is this very child is the creator of the universe. God in nappies, as it were. God the Son in human flesh, incarnate. And yet maybe because we hear this year in, year out, we can switch off to how significant it really is. Why is this good news? Well, you may have heard people bat around the phrase, God loves you. But have you ever thought, what reason have I got to believe that that's true? Is that not just wishful thinking? Well, if God had kept his distance, he could have left us speculating about what he's like. And if that was the case, then maybe it would be wishful thinking. It would remain the job of philosophers to try and theorise about what God is like. But we'd never know for certain. But God didn't leave us in the dark. He came to us. He came among us. And has it ever struck you how humbling that is? For the creator of the universe to be born as a little baby. 
It's hard to think of an analogy that comes close. The only one I could think of is that TV program, Secret Millionaire. If you've not seen it, basically a millionaire will go and move into an ordinary neighborhood for a couple of weeks, usually a poorer area, and they'll take on an ordinary job and pose as an ordinary person. And, and they do this in order to look for opportunities to give away money to worthy causes. But it strikes me that it must be incredibly humbling for them to go from being a multimillionaire to working as a cleaner or whatever it might be for a couple of weeks. And yet that doesn't come close to what it must have been like for the creator of the universe to be born as a little baby, let alone in an insignificant backwater of the Roman Empire to an insignificant Jewish family. And yet because it wasn't below our God to do that, we can truly know what he's like and we can truly know that it's not simply wishful thinking to think that he loves us. He's not some far-off philosophy or concept, but a person. And Jesus didn't just come to show us what God is like. He came to invite us into relationship with this God. Going back to Isaiah, we live in a land of deep darkness. But this darkness isn't just something that's out there. It's something that's in each one of us. And it's that darkness that Jesus came to deal with. The times when we decide we want to be God of our own lives, when we decide we want to be in charge and we don't want God's rule. That's what the Bible calls sin. And that prevents us from knowing God. And yet Jesus came to do away with that in his death on the cross and invite us into relationship with the living God. You might ask, why would I want relationship with the living God? Well, we've seen this theme of joy in our reading. Verse 3, Isaiah says of God, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. The reason there's this theme of joy, joy of the coming saviour in that reading, is because knowing the living God is pure joy. It doesn't compare to life without him. The writer C.S. Lewis compared our desire to continue living without God as like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. And if we're given the opportunity to know God and we turn it down, we are just being silly like that child. So the question remains, what are we going to do about it? All we have to do to live life in all its fullness, as Jesus calls us to, is admit that we've been part of the problem. Admit that we have tried to be God of our own lives and failed. And if we do that, we can know the joy of following Jesus. I said at the start that Christmas offers us a joy that goes well beyond January the 24th. And that joy is the joy of following Jesus. Finally, for those of us who know that Christmas is all about Jesus, for those of us who know Jesus, we still have an opportunity too tonight to ask ourselves tomorrow, what are we really celebrating? What are we finding our joy in? Are we finding our joy in the fact that we're going to have a bit of a party and receive a few gifts? 
Because if we are, we will find that by the middle of January, we're pretty down. Because joy in those things doesn't last. Or are we going to find our joy in Jesus? A joy that lasts.